1: The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily.
2: Hello and welcome along to Sunday night's edition of the Football Social Daily. Nine games on the Premier League agenda this evening as we review all the action across a busy 48 hours. Points dropped at both ends of the table and we are dying to get stuck into it. So we're going to kick things off with the Saturday evening and the Saturday lunchtime games. Casemiro to the rescue, securing a point for Manchester United at Chelsea. But Liverpool's up and down campaign continued with a down this weekend as they lost away at Nottingham Forest. In part two, it's the top two. Manchester City sidestep Brighton thanks to some brilliance from Erling Haaland and Kevin De Bruyne. But toppers Arsenal were held to a one-all draw away at Southampton. And we'll also review a timely win for Everton against Crystal Palace. There was a string of England potential call-ups on display at Goodison Park. And luckily for them, Gareth Southgate was there. And then to wrap it up, we'll be around the grounds looking at Sunday's action. Aston Villa kicking off life after Steven Gerrard with a 4-0 win over Brentford and Leicester climbing off the foot of the table as they gave Wolves a whooping. So let's get cracking. My name's Fergal Brennan and on duty tonight, we have our own last minute heroes, Rob Blanchett and Alex Boardman. Rob, were you doing the Casemiro in the living room last night?
0: On my knees, completely. <laughs> I was just actually putting a tweet out for my show saying, terrible day at the office for Manchester United, and literally then I had to throw my phone up into the air and uh, retweet that. So uh, very, very happy uh, in terms of getting the point. But uh, yeah, that's what Casemiro's there for. You wanted him to, to be a hero and he's done it.
2: Alex, yourself, were you jumping around the living room shouting, yes. I can't work out what Casemiro was saying, blah, <laughs>
1: Yeah, he was saying exactly that. Um, Yes, I was. I went absolutely loopy because I thought, I just thought they'd thrown it away and I felt a little bit sick after the penalty. And uh, it just, I know it was only a draw, but it felt like a massive win.
2: Yeah, Uh, we're going to talk about uh, United's point away at Stamford Bridge first. That's going to be the focus game for us this evening, Rob. All the talk before the game was about a certain person who wasn't there. So we're going to push that a little bit further back and, and get your take on that in a few minutes. But Casemiro wasn't bought by Manchester United for last minute winners. But Eric Ten Hag effectively said after the game that he was bought so that Manchester United will have the possibility of last minute winners. Fergie Time... All of these years going back over Manchester United, they famous for scoring late, late goals. is not a centre-forward used to scoring these types of goals. He only got one for Real Madrid last season. But what he brings to a team gives them the belief, the experience, the drive, the nous, the bit of nastiness that is needed if you are going to score a big goal away from home at one of your rivals.
0: Yeah, he's just an experienced operator, isn't he, at the highest level? And I think this is where Man United obviously want to be now. want to try and push forward to create a team that's there in the top four conversation at the very least. But I think with Casemiro, it's taken him a little while just to adapt. That's why we've not seen him in the team week after week. But I was saying last week, I feel now with Casemiro that he's probably the first name on the team sheet. I think he's going to give you those defensive midfield functions and he'll allow others to play.
2: Looking at the situation with Casemiro, since he's come into the club, um, Alex, as Rob said, he's not featured maybe as regularly as we anticipated. The big money that was paid to bring him from Real Madrid, you expect him to go straight in. I remember when he signed, it was just before the Liverpool game, and he said if the paperwork had been sorted out in time, he wanted to play that night against Liverpool, and that obviously got United fans excited because he wanted to go straight into the team. But he does deserve to be in the starting level, not just based on his goal last night. But there is still this issue of getting the balance right for what Eriksen Haag wants, for what's best for Manchester United. How does this work now moving forward? Because you've got Christian Eriksen, who's hugely important. You throw in Fred, you are in Bruno Fernandes, Scott McTominay. What is Manchester United's midfield plan going
1: forward? Um, I, I honestly do not know, but I do know that Casemiro is, as you just said, he's, he's definitely the leading midfielder and He's the one... That you do not drop and it's a case of uh they played fred midweek against tottenham fred was absolutely excellent and uh, they played i think ericsson was ill for that game uh yesterday ericsson started he didn't do much wrong but he also um it wasn't one of his best performances but he'd missed the last two games due to illness mac um obviously he made the mistake for the goal but only the week before uh, in the Europa League, he came on with five, ten minutes left, scored the winning goal in injury time. So I don't f- I think, firstly, full credit to Ten Hag, it's one of the many, many things he's done right. Because Casemiro was not 100% on it when he first signed. He did take a while to adjust and he's not rushed him, he's been patient. And now Casemiro's absolutely the number one midfielder. Uh, And then the rest will just probably fight out in training, fight it out during games. Exactly what's happened with Luke Shaw, exactly what happened with Varane and Martinez at the back. Um, It's really, really great management from Ten Hag. And I adore Casemiro. I absolutely love him.
2: Uh, I have to ask Rob about almost, there's almost a sense of he who shall not be named. A bit of the Scottish play play around a player who is not Scottish, he's Portuguese. We all know who I'm talking about. Cristiano Ronaldo. He wasn't in the squad yesterday. There's been this high profile situation where Eric Ten Hag removed him from the matchday squad. He's not been training with the first team in the last few days after refusing to come on against Tottenham in midweek. So Eric Ten Haag was asked again about this after the game, as you would expect, and he was pretty straightforward, referred back to what he'd said previously, the club statement issued by Manchester United. And as it stands, Cristiano Ronaldo is due to come back into the fold. This was only as it stands for the Chelsea game, they've got Sheriff Tiraspol in midweek in uh, Europa League action. But looking slightly further ahead, there's only three Premier League games left between now and the World Cup. He is going to go away with Portugal. He's their captain, he's their talisman. Do you actually see him playing for United again before the World Cup? Because we're now in the territory whereby he might not want to play in case he gets an injury, and this is his last ever World Cup.
0: Well, there's Europa League coming up, isn't there? He'll love that. (laughs) <laughs> uh, I think the th- I think the things with Cristiano is that we we know where we stand with him. and We've known where we stood with him for quite a while. Uh, you know he doesn't like it when he doesn't get his own way. He wants to play all the matches. He wants to play all the minutes. But he doesn't want to press. He's he's getting on in years. He can't do that physical work. So it's a big problem for Ten Hag. But you know, as Alex was just saying there, I think I think Ten Hag's managed all the situations, all the variables at Manchester United impeccably at the moment. Uh, and I think with Cristiano, you know, to to walk off like. he did and to make that point when he knows as one of the biggest superstars in the world that that would be flashed around the planet after Manchester United beat Tottenham Hotspur and had such a great performance that he would steal the headlines he 100% knew what was going on and he did it deliberately and for that he deserved to be punished
2: Alex just quickly before we move on what's your take on this there's Europa League action to come there's the EFL Cup to come before the World Cup and those three Premier League games as I mentioned will we see Ronaldo for United again before the World Cup.
1: Yes, I think we'll probably see him midweek against Sheriff, because um, again, just because the way Ten Hag has managed have everything so well, um, he'll stick by his word and he'll say he, he's already said there's definitely a way back for Ronaldo. He needed to be punished. He's not. He'll have been punished now. I'd imagine tomorrow they'll go into training and Ten Hag will go. There's a line drawn under it. You're starting uh, midweek also because Rashford looks absolutely exhausted I think if Martial was fit and you could guarantee him between now and Christmas I think maybe Ronaldo would be banished but he, Ten Hag can't afford at the minute to, to, to write him off, one injury to Rashford, there is no centre forward so he has to let him play the next two or three games
2: It's going to be an interesting one to see how it plays out. One thing is for sure, short of an injury, Cristiano Ronaldo will be at the World Cup and miraculously will be starting football matches again. Just a quick word on Rafael Varane. Eric Ten Hag was asked about him after the game. He left the pitch in tears. As it stands, his injury setback is only set to keep him out for three weeks. So he should, all being well, be okay to go to the World Cup. So hopefully... Rafa Varane will be lining up for Didier Deschamps. Uh, In terms of United, that leaves them sixth in the table, 20 points on the board. Chelsea just ahead of them, 21 points in fifth. Right, we're going to move across to Liverpool, Nottingham Forest, or Nottingham Forest, Liverpool, I should say, Alex, because this was a 1-0 win, and not just any 1-0 win for Nottingham Forest. This was massive because things have not gone to plan for them so far this season. They've only won once in the Premier League prior to yesterday, up against the Liverpool side who've not been fantastic uh, or certainly not consistent in the Premier League. But this is massive for Nottingham Forest because regardless of the contract extension, Steve Cooper is still under pressure and this is huge for them.
1: Yeah, um, I, I really enjoyed yesterday's game. I, I was listening to the, the commentary and they were... um oh, I can't remember who it was, but they were criticising Forest... I thought a little bit too much for, for maybe not having um, Jesse Lingard especially, for not having enough quality on the ball, but I thought Forrest did so many things well, and it's the second time I've watched them um, on Sky uh, at home, and I think the fans are so behind it and they, they're so excited to be back in the league, and they do a lot of things so well. They defend en masse. They get everybody back. They really try and break. They try their best to keep the ball on the floor and play decent football. Um, yesterday, they it was like many old adages in football, but it felt like they wanted it so much more than Liverpool, who I thought were really, really poor, both in effort and tactically. And I think Forest were almost unlucky not to get um in the second half. They could have got a second goal. Uh, but, Maybe the last five minutes, Henderson was inspired. But I thought they were really good value for money for that victory. And I know it looks they're in a a poor-looking position, but I think with that home support and the way that they play at home, I think they might just about be all right.
2: Looking at Liverpool's situation, Rob, because they were going for a third straight Premier League win if they had managed to get three points at Forest yesterday. And that would have been the first time this season that they'd got three on the run in the Premier League. As it stands, they've only got back-to-back wins twice so far in domestic action. Is this how Liverpool's campaign is going to go? Last weekend was excellent against Manchester City. At Anfield, Mohamed Salah scoring against City. It almost looked like... The old Liverpool was was back. I know that might be jinxing it slightly, but this yesterday was poor. There was chances to win the game. Roberto Firmino, Virgil van Dijk both had two each which could have comfortably seen off Forrest. Is this just something that is going to happen with Liverpool this season? They'll turn in an impressive performance and then they'll flatter to deceive. And ultimately, that'll undermine their chances of, of challenging City and Arsenal and anyone else that's in the title race.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think that this is a, a big crossroads for Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool. You know, we spoke, I remember a, a few years back and we spoke about when Liverpool had that season where they didn't do very well, where they were obviously wanted to be title contenders, but they had injuries and they just obviously couldn't find the points to climb the table. And then the following year were much better. But I think when you look at Liverpool now, there is definitely an impetus that they've lost, some kind of energy that was there for the last six years. And for me, it seems to have really coincided with the sale of Sadio Mane. So, you know, there's there's a lot of weight on Mohamed Salah's shoulders, and it always has been. But you could just see now the way Liverpool played, especially against this Forest match, that they just lack the maybe emotional powers that they used to have over teams. Uh, You would always expect them to kind of have the renegades and push from midfield and get into those front three and be able to hurt teams yesterday it just felt a little bit flat and it's not a performance that we haven't seen this year we've seen it a few times and Jurgen Klopp himself you know even in his interview and, and on the touchline, very subdued very quiet very pensive not the kind of guy that we've seen so I think this is now the big challenge for him because without Manet, they're going to have to find a way forward and that will obviously mean buying new players but the players that are already at the football club have to be better.
2: Yeah, and uh, that result means Liverpool slipped down to eighth in the Premier League table, 16 points on the board so far for Jurgen Klopp's team. Uh, Nottingham Forest, despite beating Liverpool, results on Sunday mean they slip back down, sorry Steve Cooper, to the bottom of the Premier League table, just nine points and uh, sometimes a positive can be quickly turned around on you in the Premier League. Right, we're going to grab a quick break. After the break, we're moving on to the rest of the Premier League action. Manchester City battered Brighton, Everton back in business, but Arsenal have a little stumble against the Saints. All that to come after the break.
1: Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss
0: an episode
1: Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.
2: Welcome back to Sunday night's edition of the Football Social Daily. Before the break, it was Casemiro donning his cape to rescue Manchester United at Stamford Bridge. And a big result for Nottingham Forest. Still at the bottom of the table, but a huge three points against Liverpool. Right, we're going to move on to some of the other action from Saturday. Manchester City 3-Brighton 1-Rob. Routine almost in every sense of the word for Manchester City in this one. Three goals, three points, two for Erling Haaland, bringing them up to 17 in the Premier League this season. And Kevin De Bruyne, black eye or nothing, managed to battle one in just to make sure that Brighton weren't going to come back into it. And what's really interesting at the moment with Man City is that they're so good and Haaland has been destroying defenders and hammering in goals for fun is that there seems to be a little battle between him and De Bruyne for who is top dog. And just looking at their stats so far in the Premier League this season, Erling Haaland is obviously top for goals. He's top for goals per 90 minutes. He's top for goals and assists, and he's top for goals and assists per 90 minutes. Kevin De Bruyne is top for assists, and he's top for assists per 90 minutes. Haaland is top for XG, and Kevin De Bruyne is top for XA. Everything that one does, the other seems to say, Okay, I'm going to match you stride for stride. City are under pressure to defend the Premier League title, win their first ever Champions League. Who is their most important player? Because there's so much attention on Erling Haaland. But Kevin De Bruyne has been fantastic again this
0: season. I think this is a kind of passing of the torch moment at Manchester City in the squad. Because for me, there's no doubt that Kevin De Bruyne is their most important player. He's the talent. He's the guy that pulls all the strings. He's the puppet master. But now you've got this guy up top, who's irrepressible, just scores goals for fun, doesn't even touch the ball half the time, you know, has like four or five touches in a game and scores twice, and you can see Pep Guardiola when he talks about Haaland, how kind of like a proud father he is, you know, he's kind of like, look look at this boy and what he's doing for me. Uh, it's a frightening situation, is it? Because you've just read out all the stats there, but City are only second at the moment. So let's see how they go from there. But it does feel like they've hit a, a new vein of form and, and maybe a different level.
2: I just want to ask about Brighton before we move on because there's almost not much more we can say about Man City and and how brilliant they've been so far this season, uh, Alex. But Brighton, since Roberto De Zerbi's come in, haven't really managed to click into gear. Obviously, he got a point at Anfield in his first game, but since then, they've picked up just one point from four Premier League games. They've also failed to score. uh, Sorry, they scored yesterday, but that was the only goal they've scored in those four games. No one's had more shots in the last month or shots on target in the Premier League and they've just got that one goal from Trossard yesterday that was a consolation to show for it. He's not going to come under any pressure. We know that Brighton are a capable team, but it's not really working for him and the pressure could come if that continues.
1: Yes, it, it could. I mean, I think we've got, to, we've got to forgive the Brighton players a little bit because they started the season... When they had Potter, they were absolutely on fire. I'm not sure if they weren't top or second for the first sort of month. Um, they looked they were playing some really, really good stuff as well. Um, so when you you know, you imagine you are Trossard or, or whoever at, at Brighton and you go, Look, this is all working great for us, and then you manage your leaves. Um, I think I think it's a little understandable. I think Trossard is an exceptional player. Um, I know City were great yesterday, but two nil down, um, and also there was you know the the possible controversy over the, the penalty for the second goal, possibility that there was a Harland foul. Trossard scored. They were two. They were two one down, and they were pressing and they nearly equalized. I mean, ultimately it's academic, and City would have probably just gone up a level and beaten them anyway. But I don't think it's particularly doom and gloom. I think they're, I think they need a, a like a. A high, a highland who doesn't, but they needed they just need a decent goal scorer that they can hang their hat on. Who's a centre forward as opposed to Trossard, who, who comes sort of through wide wide areas. But I th- I think they're all right. I think they will be all right. Um, I'd, and I think we can forgive them, given the fact that they had the manager stolen from them after the first month of the season.
2: Uh, grand Theft Auto by uh, by <laughs> Chelsea getting, uh, getting Graham Potter in. Rob, you mentioned before that Manchester City are second. They do end the weekend in second place. 26 points from 11 games played. Arsenal still top of the shop uh, as we go into uh, a new week. 28 points for their first drop points since losing at Old Trafford to Manchester United. A one-all draw away at Southampton. And this was relatively smash and grab from the Saints. Their one real chance late on and Stuart Armstrong buried it. Arsenal had four or five chances to wrap it up and get that second goal and make sure the box was ticked. This question can almost get asked every week between now and the end of the season. If Arsenal keep up this form, have they got the belly for it? Have they got the experience to manage these games? Arteta will kind of want to get them into the World Cup shelter of get to the World Cup, still be top of the table. Looking at some of the games coming, they've got Forrest at home next weekend, who, you know, we just mentioned got gotten really positive results. They do have Chelsea away and then Wolves away as their last game before jetting off for the World Cup. Are you confident that Arsenal will still be leading the way when everyone goes to Qatar?
0: Well, Fergal, I don't know if you remember. Do you remember last year on this very show? I'm
2: terrified what you're going to say, but go on. No,
0: no, well, do you remember, I, I said that I thought Arsenal, even though they were obviously bottom of the league at the very start of the season, they obviously climbed their way back up that they would be title contenders this year. And I got a lot of uh, muck thrown my way from some people saying that that was crazy and Arteta was nowhere near it and Arsenal didn't have the right players and whatnot. But here we are, Arsenal top of the league and deservedly so. Uh, I think today, seeing this match, and I've seen every minute of Arsenal's games this season, they're just starting to look a little bit jaded to me. I don't know what you think. I just think you look at them. I think like today, Gabriel Jesus just looked like a yard slower Just Arsenal's passing movements didn't look as sharp as they have been in recent weeks. And Southampton took advantage of that. So I think it's going to be a tough season for Arsenal just to maintain the form that they've got at the moment because they've been so good. Um, This World Cup, I think, is going to mess up a lot of things for a lot of clubs who maybe have got form now and then suddenly, miraculously come back at the start of next year and find that half their players are then out of form. Um, But Arsenal totally deserved being top of the league, but they had a tough day at the office today.
2: What's your take on this, Alex? In terms of uh, in terms of our Arsenal want to be at the World Cup because Rob is right. Ultimately, whichever team manages the World Cup the best will probably go on to win the Premier League, and Arsenal won't have as many players away as other teams, as Manchester City and potentially even Manchester United and and Chelsea at Qatar. So there'll be some key rest for certain players. But when you don't have as big a squad as Man City, or crucially the title winning experience. Of Manchester City you almost have to compartmentalise the season get to the end of November get to the World Cup get through the busy Christmas period which obviously this year is, is massively disrupted do you think that's how Arteta is managing it because he knows the squad is not as deep and not as experienced as City?
1: Yes and it's very very young as well and I'm sure he's, he's doing all those things um, I also think um, city. Exactly what was just said. City probably are so much deeper. Um, city can afford to lose a couple of players, possibly De Bruyne and Haaland aside, uh, and more or less anybody in any other position that comes in is as good as their replacement, uh, as the person they're replacing. Sorry. Whereas Arsenal, you know, if they lose Saka or they lose Martinelli, um, or they lose Jesus. Are they? Can they just pull somebody? St- I mean, Enketia comes on, he's been a really decent sub but could you rely on him for 2-3 games straight if he had to play 90 minutes probably not, I think Arsenal are playing brilliant stuff, I think they're a really exciting young team to watch, I also think compared to some of the fixtures that um, United for instance, or City have had, I think the fixtures have been quite kind to Arsenal so far um, and I think they will, I, I don't think they will, they can win it I, I honestly don't think they will, I think they'll probably get found out in the second half of the season partly due to squad depth partly due to inexperience just also partly due to the fact that city pretty much can crank it up a gear and they're just such a machine i can't i can't see anybody beyond city winning it to be honest
2: okay moving on to the final game of part 2 everton 3 crystal palace 0 rob going into this it was a tale of two completely different sets of forms three consecutive Premier League defeats for Everton and Crystal Palace unbeaten in three, picking up seven points uh, in their last few games but it was absolutely flip reversed at Goodison Park, impressive stuff from Everton and a lot of timely firsts or a lot of timely uh, returns to form, Dominic Calvert-Lewin's first goal of the season Dwight McNeil's first home goal in the Premier League since he joined from Burnley in the summer and Frank Lampard will be pleased, Patrick Vieira won't be losing too much sleep over this. It's away from home, and they're still doing relatively well so far this season. But this is important for Everton because three defeats turns into four, turns into a bit of a run, and then the pressure is never far away. Frank Lampard, we've talked about his situation quite a few times. He seems to be okay as it stands. He has a good relationship with the fan base. But things, as his former England colleague Stephen Gerrard will tell you, can change pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, I've given Lampard a bit of a hard time in the past, and I think when we've seen what he's tried, been trying to do at Everton, it hasn't really worked for the longest. So you know he's not been there that long, but you can see I think now in his last few weeks that there is a little bit of a change of vibe at Everton, and that there's there's an improvement. And I think with this victory against you know a very competent Crystal Palace side. You're just seeing that this Everton side's got something about it. And as you just said there, Dominic Calvick lewin coming back now. He's so important to them in terms of a striker because they just don't have anything else like him in the squad. Certainly a player that can score goals. So, well timed for them. And I think uh, Lampard deserves a lot of credit.
2: I want to ask a World Cup-themed question, Alex, because obviously we're moving closer and closer to Gareth Southgate announcing his squad. He was at Goodison Park yesterday and... This matchup between Everton and Palace was almost a bit of an audition for certain players. Jordan Pickford missed the last England squad injury, but he is certain to be going. Looking at some of the other names in the last couple of squads, Connor Cody and Mark Gway were both included. And then stretching that out to the last 12 to 18 months, there has been call-ups. Tyreek Mitchell has been included. But there's a lot of names on both of the two starting teams yesterday. You throw James Tarkowski into that as well. Eberice Eze, potentially from Crystal Palace, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, even Damari Gray. Could there be a bolt from the blue from one of these teams to get into that squad? Dominic Calvert-Lewin has struggled with injury, but we know he can score goals. There's lots of experience with Tarkowski and Cody. There's question marks over Harry Maguire about whether he should be going. And Crystal Palace, some of these players that we talked about, particularly Eze, I love Eze. They do have a bit more pizzazz and a bit more excitement about them <laughs> than some of the players that probably Gareth Southgate will end up calling up
1: Yeah, I don't I, I don't think there will be any surprises or any real bolt from the Blues, I think as well if you were to, if you're talking about Calvert-Lewin, um, I think uh, Tony from Brentford should be in front of him in the pecking order that's without including players like Rashford who have been there before. Southgate is a manager who often, it seems like he really sticks by his team and I think he's he knows his team. I think he knew it two or three months ago and I think he's probably, you might be talking about one or two people on the fringes of the squad. Um, what could be really interesting with Maguire, who would definitely go, despite being terrible for United for well over a season, uh, poor for England in the last batch of matches that they played, um, he will Probably get a chance. He's recovering from injury. He will probably get to play for United before the World Cup, and it's a case of is he fit enough? that Maybe somebody like Tarkovsky could possibly come in as an outside. I just don't see it. I don't. I think Southgate's got his team more almost nailed on. So I don't. I don't think you will get any of your wishes and see any of those players that you mentioned. Unfortunately, because I. I I think one or two of them do deserve a call-up.
2: Rob, other than Jordan Pickford, who is now back fit and has been Gareth Southgate's number one choice in goal, looking at the starting 11s from yesterday, there's a a bit of a mix of kind of experienced campaigners, the likes of Tarkowski and and Cody and then Eze, who's just got this little bit of an X-factor, you know, I ring the bell there, but he does have it. Mark Guay at the back's been really good for, for Crystal Palace so far this season. If you're looking at these two teams and you're Gareth Southgate taking notes in the crowd yesterday... Was there anyone who caught the eye that could maybe sneak in?
0: Well, there's always shocks, isn't there, before World Cup squads? Always shocks. But I agree exactly with what Alex said there. I think with Southgate... If there's if there's one conservative coach who likes to do the same thing over and over again, it's Gareth Southgate. I think if Harry Maguire didn't play a single minute between now and the World Cup, he's on the plane. So it's just how it goes. So I think, when I mean, you look at these uh, players from, from clubs like Everton and Palace, I think he's more likely to look towards, say, a James Ward-Prowse or that kind of set-piece specialist who, who could come into your squad and add value from Southampton rather than maybe what's on offer here. You you mentioned Eze, their fantastic talent... Um, brilliant at what he's been doing at Crystal Palace. Could you see him doing it for England or even being played or on an England bench? For me at the moment, the answer's no.
2: Yeah, I I, am probably going to have to agree with you. Gareth Southgate tends to go with uh, a pretty solid pack, but there's uh, there's still a bit of time to go between now and the World Cup. And Gareth Southgate has obviously opted against calling up the 55-man provisional squad, which has uh, caused absolute mayhem for uh, some of the other teams at the World Cup. Right, we're going to grab another break. After the break, we're going to be talking about the remaining four games from the Premier League weekend. And it's been a goal-filled Sunday. Stephen Gerrard, Look away now because Aston Villa are back.
0: Football's Social Daily.
1: Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them.
0: Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at
1: sport-social.co.uk.
2: Right, welcome back to Sunday night's edition of the Football Social Daily. We are rattling through the remaining Premier League matches from this weekend. Rob, I'm going to go to you first on this one. Stephen Gerrard is out the door at Villa Park and Aston Villa were excellent. 4-0 win over Brentford. That's the first time they've scored more than two goals in a game this season. Obviously, Steven Gerrard is going to be the focus before the game and after the game because Villa are on the hunt for a new manager. And this performance was probably the biggest signal to the players had stopped playing for him previously. 48 hours before this, they'd lost 3-0 away at Fulham. The performance was dreadful. Steven Gerrard was sacked. He then had to get on the bus sheepishly and go back up to Birmingham with the team. This looked a team refreshed. And we're talking about a capable set of Premier League players, not world beaters. But Danny Ings will score Premier League goals. Douglas Luiz is capable, Matty Cash. They've got enough bodies in the squad and in the team to make sure that Aston Villa are okay. But this is a clear example of things that have gone toxic. You've got fans singing for him to leave. He's now gone and the players have reacted. Do you think Steven Gerrard maybe has got a bit of a right to feel aggrieved? Because this was night and day from, from Fulham in midweek.
0: Well, today felt like the uh, the Danny Ings revenge tour. That's what that felt like. You know, Danny Ings has been stuck on the bench under Gerrard. Uh, I watched quite a lot of, bit of Villa, Villa in the pre-season, actually. And Ings had clearly, you know, after injuries and in one thing or another, fallen out of favour. And today, he played at the top of a 4-2-3-1 and gets a brace and looks really good. And Villa get a clean sheet and four goals. So I, I don't know whether Stephen Gerrard could feel aggrieved or not, because I think you could see here, we were talking about managers losing the dressing room. And I think that's subjective most of the time. But this Villa team has definitely got more potential than what what they've been putting out this season for whatever that reason is. But it starts with playing players, doesn't it? And I think Danny Ings is a proven Premier League player. If you have him at the top end of the pitch, you've always got a chance of scoring. And there's no doubt this year that Villa have looked toothless when it's come to attacking.
2: There's so many little mini leagues within the Premier League, Alex. And just all this talk about... It's so hard to break into the top four, you know, if you're making that leap from, from a Europa League qualifier to break the established order. But making a jump in so many different areas of the Premier League is really difficult. And Aston Villa, with the money that they spent in the summer, clearly this was focused on, we don't want to be a mid-table team anymore. We want to be pushing for Europa League or Europa Conference League. But it is difficult because these players, Ings, John McGinn didn't play today, but Douglas Louise, Matty Cash, Tyrone Mings at the back... They probably are where they're meant to be. Solid, capable Premier League players that when it all gets shaken out would probably be okay with a top half finish but are not going to be in the reckoning for European football. And that's not necessarily Steven Gerrard's fault.
1: No, it's not. And I, can, I mean, I don't want to defend Gerrard
2: ever. Go for it. Come on, it's a <laughs> no. safe space here. Say okay. what you really think.
1: Well, I, I thought he was doing some things right in the fact that and I mean, I think that he scored the first goal today, and he got an assist for the, uh, for the penalty. Um, I think Leon Bailey's like a really, really exciting little young prospect. You don't want to put too much pressure on him, but when he gets chances, he he looks really tricky. He's he's really composed. I think Ollie Watkins. I think I can understand why. You would say, right, if I'm going to play with only one centre-forward, it's going to be Watkins rather than Ings. Um, I think both of them have got have got goals in them. Um, He obviously favoured Coutinho, it seemed. Sometimes, you know, he he's on it one week, another week he's not on it. Um, Clearly, though, he had lost the dressing room, hadn't he? Because the way that... I, I watched the first 50 minutes of, of Villa today and they were absolutely flying. Um, And I, I think... It's a big city, Birmingham. Villa's a massive historic club, as are, I suppose, Nottingham Forest. Um, I remember being a little kid and they were winning everything. They were winning European Cups, both Forest and Villa. And I think Villa have got big intentions, but they've just been away, they've just been off it for too long. So it it wouldn't have ever been a one year, two year fix. You're looking at a massive, massive project. uh, And I I don't see them breaking um breaking their top 10 actually this year uh, despite a great win today I, I, I just don't think I think there's better teams uh, than Villa
2: so aston Villa are on the hunt for a new manager Rob another team that could soon be joining them in air trawling through the the job adverts for Premier League managers is Leeds United four defeats in a row for Jesse March's side losing 3-2 at home to Fulham today He's now the most likely, in terms of bookies odds, to be sacked as a Premier League manager. The uh, Premier League sack race is uh, whirring into action before the World Cup. He's 1-2 to two to be removed from Ellen Road. He came in at the back end of last season. Obviously, the relationship that Marcelo Bielsa had with the fans, it was always going to be difficult. But he, he bought himself some stock by, by keeping them in the Premier League. They had a relatively uh, positive summer in terms of bringing in some targets and a, and a good start to the season. But things are looking bad and form, generally when you're in that area of the table, five, six tends to be the magic or not so magic number that eventually means the sack. And they are the most out of form team in the Premier League as it stands.
0: Is he on thin ice? Uh, I think he's finished. I think that's it for him. You know, unfortunately for him, he kind of is bielsa Light. So you had Bielsa the real thing before. And that didn't work and that was dysfunctional. And obviously he left the football club. And I think Marsh came with with a big reputation. You know, he's well-liked. He's a, he's a good communicator. But his team isn't very good. And I think that's kind of where, where the sound with Leeds. Um, when you look at why managers are leaving football clubs, you know, we just spoke, to, spoke about De- Steven Gerrard there in depth. There's no doubt that if Leeds want to stay up, I think they'll be reviewing their options at the moment and seeing if they could bring in a coach that can keep them out of that bottom three for the end of the season.
2: Uh, And we have to give a big shout out to Fulham because the focus on this one in terms of Leeds and, and their struggles and Jesse March potentially being out of a job in the next few weeks. Fulham have been super impressive of late. That's the second win in a row for Marco Silva's side. 12 games played, 18 points on the board. They're up to seventh, just two points behind Manchester United. So, uh watch yourselves lads. Marco's Fulham are on the march, right? We're going to move on to the final two games of the weekend. Another 4-0 victory and another manager that finds himself in a slightly precarious position. Wolves nil, Leicester 4. Alex, I'll throw this one across to you first because we chatted about this last week with with Jay and with a couple of other people. The momentum between behind Brendan Rodgers either leaving or being sacked by Leicester seems to have gone There's almost weirdly a a bit of a sweet-sacking spot for a Premier League manager. That seems to have passed, whether it was they couldn't get the financial package together to ease him out of the position, or whether he just stuck in, or whether the players were involved, or or whatever. They've gone away to Wolves, battered them, 4-0, four shots on target, all of them finding the back of the net. And they're kind of stuck in this position whereby, on paper, Brendan Rodgers should probably be gone He's not, he doesn't look like he's going to go, certainly in the short term, but they're actually doing crazy things, like winning games.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they've, they did not win the last two, and they, I think they scored three or four goals in in both of the last two games, and it's, I mean, they, they have got some really good players, Leicester, who, for one reason, Harvey Barnes, for instance, has scored, I think, in the last two games, he's started playing again. Maddison looks like he's back to his best, scores a really good goal, gets an assist. Um, earlier today uh, Tealman scores an absolute world-beating goal and we know from Vardy's, Vardy's back as well Vardy's scoring so it shouldn't be too much of a surprise that Leicester like they've done it for season after season after season to the point where seven eight years ago we looked at Leicester's like oh they're a bit of an underdog team are oh, they doing all right and then oh what they've won the league oh well that'll never be repeated again um and then suddenly it's like oh Leicester are terrible with you know some of the players that have a year or two have, have really overachieved and, and in fact no not overachieved that's not fair they, they're a very steady top 10 side so two wins and suddenly they have gone from five or six points they're up to like 10 or 11 points now they're not on the bottom anymore they're Two or three points, and they'll be eighth or something. They're not. They're not far off Liverpool, I suppose. And um, I, I don't know. It feels like they, there's such overreactions. Rodgers is a proven, decent manager. Again, somebody I don't particularly like. Um, but I think maybe the fact that Gerrard's now gone, and they were talking about which one of them will get the sack. Uh, I, I think it just shows how crazy, how crazy it is at the moment, that. Two games ago, Gerard and Rodgers are both bookies' favourites, which one will be sacked first. Two wins later for Rodgers. He's totally safe. Leicester are absolutely fine again. Villa, you know, part company with Gerard and now Villa are back. It just, it, it's a bit nonsensical to me, I think. But, you know, Wester are playing really, really well and scored some absolute cracking goals this weekend.
2: Rob, is this another example of of levels? Because Leicester did have a really difficult start to the season when there was massive pressure on Rodgers' position. And just looking at their recent results, they have been super impressive in terms of getting points, scoring goals and and keeping clean sheets. They've only let in one goal in the last five Premier League games. They've got 10 points in that run. And in terms of action at the other end, they've knocked in 11 goals. We said before about Villa being quite solid, a couple of Premier League... (laughs) <laughs> seasoned campaigners to to ring the bell again leicester are arguably another level up james madison is a really good player that can score brilliant goals yuri tillemans is an international with belgium jamie vardy you know sticks a red bull away comes on assists a goal and then sticks one in the back of the net and he's been scoring premier league goals for years and will continue to pop up with important goals when you've still got those players in your ranks and Even when you do have issues and rumours surrounding the manager being moved on and pressure from the fan base to maybe move him out, sometimes it's a little bit of a a school playground mentality. Good players just come through and you just do it because you're just that good.
0: Well, yeah, football is a school ground, playground mentality, isn't it? I think when you look at Brendan Rodgers, it was only, you know, several months ago we were talking about him being a potential next manager of Manchester United when we were in, when we were going through the candidates. So uh, I, I think with a little bit of kind of logic and stoicism and kind of being uh, balanced about it, you saw at the start of the season that Leicester had some a really bad set of games, really bad run, really bad injuries, hold back four were out, Jamie Vardy was out. And they hardly spent a penny in the transfer market. So it wasn't surprising that they lost those opening matches. But to their credit, you know, watching them the last few weeks, they've always looked good in the performance. You know, even games that they've not won. And it just felt like when Vardy came back or when they were healthier at the back and, you know, they lost Kasper Schmeichel as well. It was a huge leader that they lost out of their squad that they would be okay. And I think that's what they'll be. I think this year they will be a mid-table team. And that's about their standard, I think, with the, with the quality of the squad they've got. If they want to be back towards the Champions League places or the European places, which is where the owners would like them to be, they're going to have to spend some money. They're going to have to spend more money than, than they want to. But of course, at the moment, they have got cash flow problems and that's affected them in the last 12 months.
2: Yeah, it's it's a difficult one to gauge, but I just I do I do honestly think those mini battles scattered all the way through the Premier League, generally speaking, when it all gets shaken out and we, we get to February March time, the cream does rise. I'm not saying that Leicester are an incredible team, but they've got players in that team that are better than most of their rivals and particularly in the important positions, center back, center midfield and up front and that might sound a wee bit Sunday league, but it it really does uh, come to matter, particularly in the uh, in the business end of the of the season. I've dropped my cliché bell, so I can't ring the bell for that, <laughs> but that was a massive cliché. Uh, moving on to the final game of the weekend, the Sunday afternoon fixture. Tottenham won Newcastle 2. We'll talk about Tottenham in just a second, but Alex, Newcastle have been fantastic uh, in recent weeks. They've only lost once so far in the Premier League this season. That was away at Liverpool all the way back in August. Since then, they've absolutely stormed it. They've been very, very, very good scoring goals and, and beating teams that they need to beat. Again, this idea of jumping up a, a couple of steps on the ladder. Tottenham are a Champions League team this season. They probably find themselves in that top four battle. Newcastle want to get themselves into a European spot this season. That is the target. Eddie Howe has said that. These are games they need to be going away from home and winning because there's there's a new and a different type of pressure on Newcastle now with the money that they have, the money that they've spent and the aspirations that they've got, that they need to now go and start winning these games. When a team further down, particularly a team that doesn't have the money that Newcastle has, goes to Tottenham, they're not expected to win. They're expected to maybe sneak a draw, and that's a big positive. Newcastle and Eddie Howe now need to be going to Tottenham and winning these games as they did today.
1: Yeah, they did. Um, I'd, I'd slightly disagree. I think it's still a little early for people... Um, I don't think everybody's expecting uh, Newcastle to go to Tottenham today and win like they did. I don't think Newcastle... I thought Newcastle were very solid. Um, They took the chances uh, to go 2-0 up. They, they took that really, really well. Tottenham, I think, are in a, uh, just having some weird, uh, really strange problems. Um, And I think... I, I seem to remember it was last week, I think, United played Newcastle and it was a nil nil draw. But Newcastle were... It was a decent game and Newcastle, look... A really good. They look like a team. Um, they they play the midfield. I think the midfield's fantastic. Callum Wilson can always score as well. So I think I think they are a decent side. I think they are maybe a couple of players away from from being maybe a top four, top five side. But Sam Maximum hasn't played for a few uh, games because he's been injured. So add him to the to the mix, and I think I think signs are for Newcastle are really really decent. I think they've got still one or two players at the back who aren't maybe top four, top five players, but um, I, I think they I think Tottenham were poor today, and uh, I think Newcastle would were, were just really solid and just a good team, like a decent unit.
2: Uh, just looking at Spurs before we wrap up, Rob, because back to back Premier League defeats that's the first time for antonio conte this season and they have been inconsistent in terms of racking up three four five wins uh, on the spin be that in the premier league or combined with the champions league they've got an important few weeks coming up before the world cup because they're not home and dry in terms of the last 16 in the champions league they are top of group d as it stands but only by a point they've got two games to go to make sure they are in the knockouts and obviously we know the conte uh, Jinx or the Conte Hex, which is maybe overplayed a little bit, but he, he wants to get that shaken off in the Premier League between now and the World Cup. They've got Bournemouth away, they've got Liverpool at home, and then Leeds at home. Whether or not Jesse March will still be in charge, we don't know. But he, he needs to get things together to make sure boxes are ticked and, and things are tied up before the World Cup because it's a long gap before the Premier League comes back.
0: Well, hashtag Conte out. I can see it already. See, it's happening. It's coming. uh, That might be him (laughs) writing the hashtag himself. I I was just about to say, he's been doing interviews all week where he's been talking about not how bad Spurs are, but how hard it is to win at a club like Spurs. And their form has just evaporated. It almost feels like he's been watching them in training and thinking, I think we might get done against Newcastle this week. Uh, But but overall, Tottenham were were bad today. And I think that, that when you look at them, when Perisic starts they look like they've got an option in terms of creativity from wide areas. And when Perisic doesn't start, they look a bit flat. So, you know, Harry Kane was doing Harry Kane things today, obviously got the goal and helped his team back into it. But Newcastle have become a very, very competent side who obviously have massive aspirations. Uh, and and all credit as well to Eddie Howe because I think the team that he's put together there, you know, we've seen players like... Almirion and, uh, and Wilson really kind of perform at the peak of their powers and of course with transfer markets to come ahead in January and in the summer you can only see Newcastle getting stronger
2: yeah uh, quick call before we wrap up because we might not have you on again before the World Cup Alex who will be top of the table before the World Cup
1: oh, I think Arsenal have still got the fixtures that they're okay because they play Wolves in there don't they? there's only three games I'll say Arsenal still just.
2: So Arsenal through slightly gritted teeth from Alex Rob, it's either probably gonna be either Arsenal or City unless something changes. Who are you going for?
0: City. That's it. Ooh. City and then that'll be it. That'll be the end of the title. And I think City will will just power ahead. They've just got too much and, and just seeing Arsenal today, they just looked a little bit jaded.
1: Ooh.
2: Okay, Uh, Mikhail Arteta not having a happy Christmas, uh, according to Rob. We'll just have to see how it all gets shaken down. Right, so we're going to call it a day for tonight's edition. uh, Call it a day for tonight's (laughs) edition. There's there's a massive cliche for you. Uh, We're going to end the podcast. Let's go with something a bit more neutral. We're going to end the podcast. Rob, Alex, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Thank you so much. As always, the guys will be back on duty tomorrow. Looking forward to the Monday night action in the Premier League. Monday is always a good time for a moan as well, so they'll be whinging about what went on this weekend. Thanks for listening and hit subscribe up the top. You can check out that new episode tomorrow. Bye for now.
1: Football's
0: Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.